The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined today by Roger Stone, the Republican strategist and advisor to several uh, Republican presidents, from Richard Nixon to Ronald Reagan to Donald Trump. And Roger, I think you're the, the perfect person to talk to about this story because you have been pardoned by President Trump, having been convicted on multiple counts uh, in connection with the Russiagate inquiry. Donald Trump right. pardoned you. Just, just to be clear, convicted of lying under oath about Russian collusion that never took place. That never took place, yeah. yeah. So uh, that, that... It, it, it is kind of shocking that on November 3rd, 2020, uh, almost a year after my pardon, Robert Mueller was forced to disgorge by a federal judge the last remaining redacted section of his final report in which he admitted that he had found, quote, no factual evidence, close quote, against Roger Stone regarding Russian collusion, WikiLeaks collaboration, or any other crime. So uh, I was uh, I was charged for uh, lying in my voluntary testimony to Congress. No misstatement I made was material. There was no underlying crime to hide, such as Russian collusion. Uh, I was really charged to pressure me to testify falsely against Donald Trump, which I refused to do. Trump saw the unfairness of my trial. I had a hostile judge. I had a a corrupted jury forewoman. I had a stacked jury. I had I had uh, uh, the last remaining redacted sections of the report were withheld from my defense attorneys at trial, so they were withholding exculpatory evidence. He saw the unfairness of my trial, and he gave me an unconditional pardon. Continue. I do. I do remember it. I remember uh, studying it quite closely at the time. And um, obviously, you're not a neutral person in this, but I do think uh, you were treated pretty unfairly. Uh, but you were lucky in the sense that you were blessed that Donald Trump was able to pardon you, was in a position to pardon you. And yet Donald Trump himself has been warning now since last weekend that uh, an indictment is coming, that he could be arrested. He said Tuesday, Tuesday's been and gone. Um, do you think, as some people are saying, that this was a self-defeating prophecy? Uh, no, actually, I think only because the president um, raised the issue. Uh, that perhaps uh, they're having a very hard time corralling the grand jurors. Um, I think it's important to note that in the last uh, 72 hours, we've had enormous public uh, information that would indicate that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's principal witness in this matter, Michael Cohn, has told multiple stories under oath in multiple places. So According to Cohn's own attorney, a man named Robert Carstello, whose attorney-client privilege has been waived by Mr. Cohn, Cohn told him directly and in writing and under oath that he had not paid off Stormy Daniels on behalf of Donald Trump. 
said the same thing under oath in a defamation suit, said, had his lawyers say the same thing to the Federal Election Commission uh, in a letter. So it appears to me that only because Trump has shown a spotlight on the unfairness uh, an extraordinary bank shot of this whole maneuver uh, that maybe uh, Alvin Bragg, the DA, is having a hard time corralling his grand jury. I mean, they're taking a business records case, twisting it into a campaign finance violation case, and then trying to bump that up to a felony. To be very clear, if Trump had used campaign funds to pay hush money to anybody, that would have been a crime. In this case, they're charging him with not using campaign funds uh, to to uh, silence someone. An affair, by the way, that Stormy Daniels herself and Trump both deny. Does Stormy Daniels deny the affair? I saw a letter from her online yesterday in which she did deny the affair. The point here is, why is this happening to a former president of the United States? It's because Donald Trump is an existential threat to the new world order. I mean, Donald Trump wants to end the war in Ukraine. Donald Trump wants to uh, restore our constitutional freedoms, return to energy independence, stop the wild spending spree that has given us uh, the worst inflation in our history, seal our southern borders, and what is a drug and crime epidemic in this country. He's an existential threat to those who are currently in power, and therefore, they will use any method, including a judicial uh, misconduct, to try to destroy him. Uh, I fully expect, even if he is not charged in New York, which is an open question right now, that he'll probably be charged uh, in uh, uh, Fulton County, Georgia, on an election-related matter. But I would argue that if you read the entire transcript, in which there are numerous lawyers involved between uh, and listening and participating between uh, of the phone call between Trump and Secretary of State Raffensperger, he doesn't tell him to go find 11,000 some odd votes. What he says is, you have already counted more than 11,000 some odd votes, the margin of victory, illegally. There's 5,000 convicted felons who have voted, for example. Therefore, we don't even have to get into the question of whether there's corruption in the machines or uh, on election day uh, or in the mail-in ballots. You already have enough votes which should be properly legally discarded, which would change the result. Very different than the impression that one would get from Fannie Wills, the George Soros-funded prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia. Then you have, of course, uh, the Jack Smith special counsel investigation of January 6th, uh, as well as his investigation of Trump's handling of documents. Uh, Trump may well get charged in one or both. Neither one could possibly get to trial before the next election. Trump could get elected and pardon himself for both if he absolutely had to. Uh, But it is absolutely clear that you have a a determined effort to destroy his candidacy. And that's weird given the, the twin messaging. On the one hand, the legacy media tells us he's washed up, he's finished. He's a, he's a shell of his former self. Uh, he, you know, he's weakened. He can't win. And in the next breath, they say, oh, my God, we don't want to run against that guy again. we got to trump up some charges here. So uh, it, it is pretty much a, of an absurdity. Uh, it has, I think, uh, had the effect of drawing his most serious rival, Ron DeSantis, into a series of egregious errors. I mean, he is, he is on the verge of imploding 
after many, many, many months of having the discipline to ignore Trump, when Trump is fighting for his life, DeSantis attacks him at the worst possible time without recognizing that the DeSantis base is a subset of the Trump base. The difference is the people in the base like Trump a lot more than they ever liked DeSantis. You, you therefore expect DeSantis's polls to take a bit of a hit in the coming days after this very public... They, they, they already are. When the New York Times reports on it, a piece by Nate Silver, uh, and Ron's their guy, then you must really be slipping. So, you know, in order to try to gauge what's happening, one needs to look at a number of polls, look at polls by the same pollster over a, a, a sustained period of time, with an eye towards the methodology uh, and the seriousness uh, and the quality and professionalism of the pollster. On that basis alone, the morning consult poll, the McLaughlin poll, several polls that I do respect show uh, that the president has gained significantly under attack uh, and that DeSantis's attacks on Trump have really been counterproductive uh, as he has dropped. What should we make of reports that Trump is um, almost goading this arrest on, that he's having fun with it, that he knows that it will fire up his supporters? I mean, I, I think he probably does think that at one level, no? I, I see no evidence that he's having fun with it, uh, but I also see no evidence that he is uh, terrified, hysterical, depressed, uh, angry, furious. I... I see no evidence of that at all. I've talked to him a couple times in the last several days, and uh, he seems uh, very uh, upbeat, very optimistic, very fatalistic, meaning the future will be what it'll be, uh, and I'll fight these things out uh, one at a time, but I think very resilient, particularly happy uh, that the public has reacted extremely well to his messaging, both his his, uh, being frontal about the partisan nature of this attack on him in New York and by the special counsel and by his proactive response to the uh, insurgency by Ron DeSantis, who Trump rightfully is angry about, because if it weren't for Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis would be working in a McDonald's right now, handing out burgers, maybe whipping up some fries. Ron DeSantis is an undistinguished cold fish introvert in an extrovert's business, a man who wears earbuds to avoid human contact. Uh, He's not good on his feet. He would never do this podcast because you might ask him a challenging question. He only does interviews where he's guaranteed friendly questions. And he was at 7% in the polls. His opponent was at 42 uh, at the time that Donald Trump gave him an unqualified tweeted endorsement. That skyrocketed Ron to the nomination, but then President Trump had to change his schedule twice in the closing weeks of 2018 because Ron is such a piss poor candidate. He got trounced in two debates by the crackhead mayor of Tallahassee. Go back and look at them now. Trounced, destroyed. Ron doesn't know anything about state issues, at least he didn't at that time, since he had been planning to run for the U.S. Senate and since his focus in Congress had been foreign policy and defense issues, uh, and it showed. So Trump had to come to Florida twice in the last two weeks to literally drag Ron's sorry ass over the finish line. And, you know, I think some people, at least I do, uh, they put a certain premium on loyalty. Ron DeSantis was made by Donald Trump. Uh, The TV commercials uh, that they ran of him 
teaching his kid to say, build the wall or make America great again. That's embarrassing. If I were Trump, I'd put those back up on the air. Uh, well, let, let me ask you a, a, a slightly challenging question then. I mean, you wouldn't have said that about Ron DeSantis last year, would you? I would have, but probably the average Republican would not have. I, I have uh, never trusted Ron DeSantis uh, and I've never particularly cared for him. I was not particularly happy, uh, not that I was a big fan of his opponent, um, Adam Putnam, the state agriculture commissioner, but one needs to recognize how hierarchical Republicans are. All 67 Republican county chairmen endorse Ron's opponent. Every single Republican state legislature, slator in Florida, where we have a majority in both houses, the Senate president, the House speaker, all endorse Ron DeSantis's opponent. Every Republican member of Congress from Florida, with the exception of Matt Gates, endorsed uh, Ron DeSantis's uh, opponent. So um, uh, really, the person who deserves the most credit for the election of Ron DeSantis, other than Donald Trump, is Matt Gates. Matt Gates is the man who convinced Donald Trump to endorse Ron DeSantis, something that I suspect Matt Gates greatly regrets at this moment. Well, and uh, there was also, uh, I mean, there have been people who've worked for both Trump and DeSantis. And I mean, it is perhaps it's credit to Trump that a lot of the people who have worked with him remain intensely loyal. Some don't, Michael Cohen being a good example. And there is this, uh, there is a bitterness towards DeSantis now because he's seen as an ingrate and a, and a, and treacherous. Yeah, it's virtually impossible uh, to name anyone who's an actual friend of Ron DeSantis, uh, with one exception, Adam Laxalt, the former attorney general of Nevada. And I don't know how happy he's going to be when he learns that Ron DeSantis has promised both uh, Ashley Moody, the Florida attorney general, and Adam Laxalt, the Nevada attorney general, that he will appoint them U.S. attorney general when he becomes president. I'll let them go hash that out. There seems to be, uh, whether you read The Spectator or whether you read Puck uh, or whether you read uh, The New York Times or whether you read, pardon me, The New Yorker, there are many former friends of Ron DeSantis in blind quotes. A lot of former consultants to Ron DeSantis uh, in blind quotes. Uh, but um, the man uh, really is... Uh, He's either solely an introvert in an extrovert's business, like Nixon was, or he may be right there on the spectrum. I'm not really sure, uh, but he's an odd duck, to say the least. I mean, Trump gets strength from people. He likes posing for selfies. He likes signing hats. He, he likes the interaction. DeSantis really has to force himself. He really doesn't like people. When I do a book signing, and I've done a lot of them because I need to raise a lot of money for my legal defense fund, Hunter Biden's lawyers are now threatening to sue me, which is laughable, um, uh, be only because I've discussed the contents of the laptop in public. There's an assertion that I played some role in the laptop material becoming public. This Hollywood nut job, uh, Kevin Morris, has this Unabomber type chart he's designed in which he has me playing a role. That's defamatory. I may sue him for $10 million. Uh, but uh, it, it is uh, it is extraordinary how many people have come and gone from the DeSantis camp. I guess is what I'm saying. Mm. I remember there was a lot of um, around the time of Russia Gate. I remember a lot of very spooky people, usually Brits, 
doing those charts, you know, then it's it's guilt by association, isn't it? It's... Well, I think this is an important point that most people don't realize. Ron DeSantis would not endorse Donald Trump for president in 2016 after Trump was the nominee. Ron DeSantis became a Trump supporter the instant Donald Trump was elected president. And then he sought his role as a, using the words from his own TV commercial, fierce Trump defender uh, on Fox and on uh, conservative talk radio in the, in the United States. He wasn't doing that for Trump. He was doing it for himself. Trump, I think, was unaware of the fact that Ron refused to endorse him in 2016 after Trump was the nominee. Uh, he thought, wow, here's this hard-charging defender of mine, and uh, a relationship grew without any context um, that Ron DeSantis was a backstabbing weasel, I think is now apparent to the president. Yeah. Do you think, though, perhaps, if you're being fair-minded, that that Nixon-like quality, you work for Nixon, that Nixon-like quality might make DeSantis quite an effective politician. Politicians don't have to be nice or likeable or clubbable. Um, And in fact, you might say that Trump's weakness in some ways was that he often should have got rid of people sooner um, he when he got to Washington, he was too maybe bamboozled by it slightly, and he he didn't destroy the big state, uh, the, sorry, the deep state. Well, uh, uh, there's no question that uh, Donald Trump made mistakes in some of his personnel choices, but then so did Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis says to Piers Morgan in an interview he would have fired Anthony Fauci, but he just hired David Kerner the man who, as Palm Beach County mayor, ran a Gestapo-like COVID-19 vaccination compliance operation with jackbooted thugs harassing citizens, business owners, setting up a snitch line. Now, Mr. Kerner endorsed Ron DeSantis, a liberal Democrat, endorsed DeSantis' election two weeks before the election, and the two weeks after the elections, he's appointed to the state cabinet. That's a, a sleazy political deal. Two men should be dragged before the grand jury and asked about that. Ron DeSantis and left-wing anti-COVID-19 Nazi zealot David Kerner. Why is he hiring Kerner? Never mind. And as far as uh, firing Fauci, why didn't he fire his own health uh, advisors who pushed the the vaccine, uh, probably the face uh, mandate and the uh, and the vaccine mandate here in Florida. When Ron DeSantis says that he signed an executive order that ended the forced max, uh, masking of children in schools, that's a lie. Seven of the largest counties in the state, comprising 3.6 million school children, kept the mask mandates in place, and Ron did nothing. He had the unilateral authority to fire those school boards and replace the policy which had been tested in the courts previously, but he did nothing. So he talks a good game on COVID-19, but he was an ardent advocate of the effectiveness uh, and the safety of the vaccination, and he urged people to do it. I met a man last week whose son actually died from COVID. He had the vaccination. He blames his son on the vaccination. His son got the vaccination because he saw Ron DeSantis on TV saying it was safe and effective. That wedge is not going to work. Ron DeSantis, who's taking money from Big Pharma, was a full-throated advocate for the vaccination. And it, it is only now that he has attempted to rewrite history. He kept our restaurants closed. He kept our beaches closed. He kept the three largest counties in the state closed. 
his uh, position on COVID-19 is identical and has always been identical to that of Donald Trump. I disagree with both of them, by the way. On? Uh, on their COVID-19 On COVID-19 response, yeah. Well, let's not get into that. Let's, let, let's come back to Donald Trump. And if you don't mind my asking you, I'm not asking you to overshare, but do you, do you talk to him about Michael Cohen? Because presumably you both knew Cohen when he was working for Trump. I, I'm, going, I won't, I'm not going to discuss uh, what I talked directly uh, to, to uh, the president about. I will. I've had my own experience with Cohen. Cohen uh, testified uh, under oath to Congress uh, and presumably probably to the grand jury. And I presume to prosecutors saying that he overheard a conversation between me and Donald Trump in 2016 in which I predicted to Trump the WikiLeaks disclosures. Uh, the, there's no telephonic record that supports this. The secretary who Cohn said came into the room to tell Trump that I was on the phone before Trump put me on speaker denies any calls uh, of this hap- uh, nature happened. Cohn has already changed his tune. First, he said this took place before the Democratic convention. Uh, then he said, no, no, it t- took place just before the Republican convention. I can tell you exactly when it took place. Never. I've passed three polygraph tests from three different operators. No, they're not legally admissible in court, but the FBI uses them before they'll hire you. So does the federal government. Uh, Cohn uh, can't even remember the truth. That's the problem with being a liar. He can't keep his lies straight. The Mueller prosecutors never turned up any evidence that I knew in advance about the content or the exact timing of the WikiLeaks disclosures. That is a falsehood. When uh, Michael Cohn learned that Julian Assange was going to be extradited to the United States, he put up a tweet saying, this is great. Now we can learn the truth about what he told Donald Trump. Indeed, I would welcome Assange's testimony on that matter. It would prove that once again, Michael Cohn is a liar. Well, I mean, he certainly is not the most credible witness. I think that's fair to say. Um, He's been convicted of lying himself. And yet he is still presented by most most media, actually, as as a kind of credible source on Trump, which I think speaks to the bias you'll t- you often talk about. But could you imagine what his cross uh, examination would be like at trial? He would get destroyed. I mean, first of all, he went to jail uh, largely on matters unrelated to Donald Trump, very much like Paul Manafort. I mean, his own personal tax problems irregularities and payoffs to get his uh, taxi cab medallions uh, in New York City and a campaign finance violation, but none of them related to Donald Trump. Uh, I think that you have a a dynamic there in Manhattan where uh, there's much unhappiness uh, that uh, Alvin Bragg, who took a million dollars from George Soros in a campaign contribution, probably isn't the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, He's certainly no Robert Morgenthau. Um, He's not even Cyrus Vance Jr. Declined to prosecute Trump himself in connection uh, with issues regarding the Trump organization. That caused an uprising inside his office and I think among some of his donors now demanding that he get Trump's head on a pike. Um, I also think it'll be interesting to see now that Mr. Bragg has declined the invitation of uh, Chairman Jim Jordan of the uh, House uh, Oversight Committee, or pardon me, uh, the yes, the House uh, Committee. Um, what happens when they send Mr. Bragg a subpoena? 
Steve Bannon um, was convicted of contempt for his refusal to honor a congressional subpoena. So why would Mr. Bragg be held to a different standard? I was subpoenaed to come before the January 6th committee. I appeared and asserted my Fifth Amendment rights, not because I knew anything, not because I did anything wrong, not because I was involved on January 6th. I wasn't at the ellipse, didn't march to the Capitol, wasn't at the Capitol, know nothing about uh, the illegal activities at the Capitol, denounced them immediately upon hearing about them. But I was in my hotel room. On the other hand, I've already been tricked by Eric Swalwell and and uh, Adam Schiff and uh, the, these con men in the Congress. So there was no way I was going to expose myself. But I did fulfill my legal obligation by showing up and pleading my Fifth Amendment rights. Mr. Bragg, I don't think, should be allowed to duck a subpoena as to the way he's conducting this investigation. Uh, and as to his legislative intent, well, uh, improper prosecution needs to be addressed by the new Congress. Mm. Well, why do you think, I mean, speaking of improper prosecution, why do you think uh, Bragg drops the tax? I mean, I can see, you know, because he didn't, he realised it wasn't going to get there. That might have been the reason. But why would he drop the tax case? The, 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 his, the Southern District had this tax case against Trump, which has sort of never really worked out. And they were sort of running it in parallel with the zombie case of Stormy Daniels and whether the hush money was would qualified as... Well, I think it's important to note that, that far more serious prosecutors than Alvin Bragg reviewed the Stormy Daniels matter and determined that there were no charges to be brought. This is particularly true in the Southern District. These are not prosecutors who are friendly to Donald Trump, to say the least. And uh, I suspect that Bragg didn't bring the first uh, uh, case because it was an exceedingly weak case. We only know what we read, but what we read is the professional prosecutors in his office, folks who had been there under his predecessors, did not think this was a viable case. I think some of the political people around him wanted to bring it because, uh, you know, orange man bad. Yes. But I mean, I just don't I don't don't quite see why he would drop the one case because it was weak and pursue this one, which to me looks as weak, if not weaker. Maybe George Soros called him and called in the million dollar favor. Who knows? Uh, I think it's, uh, I mean, he's doing it for political purposes. He, you know, Donald Trump is uh, extraordinarily unpopular in the liberal enclave of Manhattan. Maybe Alvin thinks this gets him reelected. This is a case that will not go well for him if he brings it. Uh, Trump will gather political strength. Alvin's credibility will be even more greatly strained. And of course, the trial if we got to one before the 2024 election, uh, would have the potential to be a circus. That's one of the other questions here on all these matters, and I'm not an attorney, but even if Alvin Bragg does charge Donald Trump, even if Fannie Wills does charge Donald Trump, more importantly, if special counsel Jack Smith charges Trump in connection with January 6th or in connection with the documents, particularly on those federal cases, lawyers I do respect tell me there's zero chance that you would get to trial before the 2024 election. Uh, and if that if that's true, then this becomes the entire backdrop for Trump's campaign. And we've already seen that when he is viewed as being persecuted and under attack is when he gathers his greatest political strength. This is when he does best among independents and undecideds. Andy galvanizes and maximizes his base. So that could be the backdrop for this entire presidential campaign. And there is another 
story that should be a big story and isn't a big story. And I think I can say that neutrally. I, I, I think as an outsider to America, it seems to me incredible that there's no, less interest in this story, which is the payments to Joe Biden's family from China. Uh, and admittedly, it came from Republican Party uh, officials, not from the media, which makes it sort of tainted in a way, I suppose, or, or certainly biased. But it seems as though it's undeniable now. Uh, and unless these records are invented, unless these wire transfers have been faked, the money ha- found its way to three members of the Biden family, Haley Biden, uh, uh, Bo's uh, widow, uh, Hunter Biden and uh, Jim Biden. Uh, uh, and, a, and a fourth person named Biden, who the Treasury Department declines to to uh, uh, acknowledge, or I should say identify. Who in the world could that be? Mm. Who do we think that is? Who do you think it is? Another Biden. I mean, look, Isn't this, is the, this is the Biden's own Treasury Department uh, with their suspicious activity reports uh, that picked this all up. Uh, and so uh, I think Congressman Comer has established in his committee that there are $3 million worth of transfer to Biden family members. Joe Biden is asked about this by a reporter, and he says, that's not true. Well, I think he needs to answer that question under oath. Uh, but there is, doesn't seem to be any investigation. So Trump is exactly right. The world's on fire. We have the Chinese paying off the president of the United States through members of his family, uh, and they want to argue over whether Michael Cohn who himself may have had an affair uh, with uh, Stormy Daniels, who knows, but he clearly paid her, but uh, not necessarily on behalf of Donald Trump, who denies it. Uh, And he's changed his story several times. This seems to me to be a sideshow, given the epic corruption going on as documented uh, in Hunter Biden's laptop. And then uh, they have the timidity to send me two letters from this lawyer, Abby Lowell, who I understand is quite expensive, threatening to throw it to sue me because I am discussing what I read in the New York Post. There's zero chance that I'm going to be silenced. Now I'm going to talk about it more. Uh, If you have not seen the uh, report uh, of the Marco Polo Foundation, I strongly recommend it to you. Uh, It's fully illustrated, quite colorful, I might add. Uh, It's all there. It's all real. It's all genuine. It was all obtained legally. It can be found online at uh, marcopolousa.org. It's astounding. Uh, But to say, oh, we need to silence Roger Stone from talking about this, silence and trying to silence people from talking about these Chinese payoffs to the Clintons. And you're, you're, you're right, Freddie, why this has not been a bigger story in the legacy media is very hard to understand. Unless, of course, they're trying to protect Joe Biden. Well, I mean, I suppose one usually tends towards cock up more than conspiracy. And I don't think that I think the media obviously is tremendously biased, but I don't think that it would ignore this story in quite the way that it has unless it's just blind to it. Uh, Journalists just don't think that's reporting anymore if it hurts Democrats. Uh, I don't know. When the House Democrats burped, the media said that it was uh, news. But when the House Republicans produce stunning information of corruption, it gets very little coverage. Pardon me if I have a jaundiced uh, view on uh, many of your colleagues, but my friend Sean Hannity is right. Journalism is dead in this country. The New York Times, those people are not journalists. They're partisan advocates. They're distortionists. 
the Washington Post, uh, the Wall Street Journal. I don't speak of every reporter, of course. I only speak of the uh, 95% of them. There's n- no uh, interest in truth or fairness or corroboration or accuracy. It's just, uh, it's all advocacy journalism. Uh, and it's a deeply biased. Uh, it's a sad state of affairs. Uh, it wouldn't be so bad if the uh, social media platforms in this country weren't so censored. So in other words, if you want to put forward an alternative view, you're silenced. That, I think, compounds uh, the evil and the danger of media censorship or, or media bias and distortion. This is why I'm uh, very indebted to uh, Elon Musk for restoring my Twitter feed. You can see me at Roger J. Stone Jr., Roger J. Stone Jr. Uh, I've gone very quickly from 25. I had 980,000 followers when I was banned for life in 2017. Twitter never actually told me which of my pungent tweets got me banned. I think I hurt Jake Tapper's feelings, though, or something. And uh, when I came back, when I was restored, which was a miracle, by the way, a miracle that I prayed for, I had 25,000 followers. Today, I have somewhere around 400,000. I invite your listeners and viewers to follow me on Twitter at Roger J. Stone Jr. Uh, I intend to keep talking. Well, Roger, uh, as a self-hating journalist, uh, what you say is often music to my ears. And I hope you'll acknowledge that The Spectator does let you speak freely. Yes, I, I'm, I'm uh, very grateful to The Spectator. One of, uh, one of the things that really aggravated me after my arrest in the uh, Mueller witch hunt uh, was a statement put out by the Nixon Foundation, not the Nixon Library, but the Nixon Foundation, uh, that said Roger Stone never knew Richard Nixon, never worked in the White House. Well, I never said I worked in the White House. I worked in the 1968 and 72 campaigns. But my real relationship with the former president came in his post-presidential years when he asked me to work on his scheduling and do some political chores for him. Um, I produced for The Spectator numerous uh, third-party authors who recognized my service and relationship with Nixon. I produced dozens of pictures of us together. I produced, I think, 29 handwritten letters or notes from him. Uh, And The Spectator uh, allowed me to write about this. So I'm uh, quite grateful for that. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Roger. And um, finally, do you think Donald Trump will be uh, arrested next week? Uh, Honestly, you know, I don't uh, answer hypothetical questions. I I honestly don't know at this point. The picture is muddled. Uh, At the beginning of the week, I I would have thought, surely. uh, But with this new uh, information coming from Robert Costello, his former attorney, the, the picture is clouded. Now, uh, reporters at the New York Times tell me that they're certain that he will be charged, uh, people with whom I, for whom I have some respect in terms of their sourcing. Uh, so I still think it is likely. I think it is a, a monumental political mistake that will only strengthen Donald Trump in the end. But uh, we shall see what happens. Roger Stone, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, the only person I would put a necktie on for at 10 o'clock on a Friday morning. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. I put one on for you too. Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Faroz, and the rest of the Spectator's broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.